Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bice, and today we're going to be talking about the, the recent verdict of Derek Chauvin in the case of the death of George Floyd. As you can recall, on May 25th, 2020, a video was released on national television, which captured the attention of the entire nation as a Minneapolis police officer had placed his knee on the back of a man's neck on the side of the street who was handcuffed and unarmed, which resulted in the man's death. Now, from the beginning, like many of us, we all were, were saddened by what we saw there in that entire, that entire case. And as I look back at even my own response on May 28, 2020, I penned an article titled, Why I'm Saddened by the Death of George Floyd. Now, I was criticized, mind you, that I wrote what I wrote on May 28th as I suggested that there was uh, unlawful force that was placed against George Floyd by the police officer. Now, of course, that was my opinion based on what I was seeing in the video, but nevertheless, the article traces out what I believe to be a very important thing that we need to consider in cases just like this one, is that we need to, as Christians, view everything through a biblical lens, a biblical lens of wisdom, a biblical lens of justice, and we need to have a high view of human life for all people, people that we might not agree with, people that are criminals, people that look like us, people that don't look like us. We need to have a high view of the Imago Dei, and so everyone is created in the image and likeness of God, and we should have sympathy and have a a certain amount of respect that is due for another human being, which I believe when I first saw this video that this officer lacked that at some level. And so as we think about what happened, uh, I think that the you know the response of the entire nation was shock and 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 people were saddened by what they saw but then there were some responses cultural responses rage grew protests spread there were riots in the streets cities were on fire there was a a very uh bold response uh, an unlawful response against law enforcement that spread throughout many metropolitan cities. American cities were shut down. Businesses were destroyed and looted. And all across America, and even internationally, people were marching in the streets, and people were were holding up signs for justice and with the hashtag that we now know as Black Lives Matter. And then, of course, we saw that we rolled right through the summer months with this continuing and also at the height of the presidential election in America. And so we saw politicians using this case as a fuel to uh, their own political motivations, using the idea of systemic injustice, police brutality, and hashtags related to racial justice, and that we needed to have police reform and defund the police became a talking point, a massive talking point for the presidential election. Now, Black Lives Matter, although an organization at the time of George Floyd's death, really exploded during this season, gaining millions and millions and millions of dollars of donations as a result of the death of George Floyd. 
and they were receiving it in the name of George Floyd from individuals who were giving $50 or $100 donations through a website to corporations who were engaging in this, to massive corporations who were engaging in the, don- in the donations in the name of George Floyd to Black Lives Matter. And so as we consider the growth of Black Lives Matter in the presidential election season, we also remember that there was this this idea of critical race theory. Critical race theory became a a conversation piece, a common conversation piece in, in the living rooms of many Americans. This idea that all of America, the very fabric of this nation, is interwoven with racism and white supremacy, and that all white people by default are racist at some level or another. And so this this really became a, a massive talking point and a common conversation that was happening at the at the break room table uh, for for many of us around the nation in secular jobs as well as on the nightly news and the newspapers. We're seeing this on social media, and so we've been bombarded with this idea of critical race theory. So here we are, nearly one year later. Derek Chauvin, this former police officer in Minneapolis, it's now history. On April 20th, 2021, the jury found Derek Chauvin guilty in all three charges, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. So as we think about this case, we need to be asking ourselves honest questions. How do we approach it? How do we approach this case from the very beginning? How do we approach it now after the verdicts have been issued in this case. And so in order to, I believe, understand this case, we need to do so with a careful attention to biblical wisdom. In other words, we need to review this through the eyes and through the lens of Holy Scripture. And so I want to apply the Bible to this case by asking some what-if questions for consideration. What if George Floyd had done the right thing from the beginning? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. What if Derek Chauvin had done the right thing from the very beginning? That's a question that we must really answer. And then what if the mobs had done the right thing from the very beginning? What if? Because what what we need to understand is that no matter what decision we make today, there will be a certain level of consequence that comes as a result of the decisions that we make. And in this case, there there are decisions that are being made at every point that bring about specific consequences even to this very day. And we need to consider that. And so we need to apply the Bible to this case. Consider, if we can, from the very beginning, Proverbs 13.20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So let's just first of all talk about George Floyd for a moment. From the very beginning, because of the fact that George Floyd died as a result of this entire situation and this encounter with police officers, George Floyd has been turned into a cultural hero. He's been turned into this man who who sacrificed himself on the altar of of injustice so that we can have as a nation a pursuit of real justice. That's really the the talking points that we've been hearing throughout this last year. But let's just go back to the very beginning and ask this question. What if George Floyd had done the right thing? 
What if George Floyd had not been where he was engaged in the practices of counterfeit money? Because we, we must remember that the reason that the police officers approached George Floyd uh, from the very beginning is because there was a phone call that was made to the authorities about individuals who were passing off counterfeit bills. So what if George Floyd had not been the companion of fools and had not been with those that he was with who were passing off counterfeit money? What if? And then we must ask this question based on the toxicology report. What if George Floyd had not been using drugs? Okay, so what if he had done the right thing? Okay, and then, of course, when he was actually approached by Derek Chauvin and the other officers, what if George Floyd had not resisted arrest? What if he had just complied with the officers, allowed them to place him under t- temporary constraint, and then placed him in the in the back of the police car? And what if, when he was first approached by these officers, had he just complied with what they were requesting? Would he still be alive? That's the question for us to consider. See, in all of these specifics related to the day of, of May 25th, when all of this this went down last year, we need to remember that that George Floyd was making decisions. And the decisions that George Floyd made brought about specific consequences on his life. And so we need to to, to exercise wisdom. Wisdom says make their proper decision. It, it says when when faced with a choice, make the right choice because there will always be consequences. In the case of, you know, dealing with police officers, we must remember that police officers are under massive stress. We must remember that the job of a police officer, they have a job to do. And yes, their job is to serve and to protect. But the idea of protecting also involves, you know, controversy at times. And sometimes they're placed in, in, in very difficult situations where they have to make a judgment call. And so when we're dealing with officers, we need to make sure that we're calm, that we listen, that we follow directions, and that we comply with their requests so long as that they are lawful requests. And at the very beginning of this entire scene, when the officers approach George Floyd, they're doing their job and they're doing it properly. And they did not request anything of George Floyd that was unlawful. So what if here, this is a question we must ask. The what if question is, what if George Floyd had done the right thing? Would he still be alive today? So we must apply biblical wisdom to this case. You know, if you walk with the wise, you're going to be wise. If you're a companion of fools, you're going to be suffering great harm as a result. This is Proverbs 13.20. And so we must consider that. Now, we must also ask a question related to the officer. So yes, if, if, you, if you're approached by a police officer, you need to do the right thing. You need to respect the officer of the law. You need to comply with proper request. You do not need to resist. You need to admit fault if you are guilty. And you need to always keep your hands where they can be seen so that you don't pose any threat whatsoever to the officer. And you need to always do this in such a way as to respect the officer and then also to protect your own life in this case as well. Always understanding that even the best officer is an imperfect officer. 
even the very best police officer, a servant of the community, is an imperfect man and may actually make an imperfect decision based on a judgment call if you act in an improper way. And so, yes, what if questions applying biblical wisdom is necessary? But then we must turn our attention also to Derek Chauvin. What if Derek Chauvin had made all of the right decisions in this case as well, regardless of George Floyd's decisions, regardless of anyone else's decisions? Uh, When we face decisions of our own, we can't make bad decisions based on other people's bad decisions because there's always going to be a consequence for it. And so in this case, when an officer of the law, specifically Derek Chauvin here, when he approached George Floyd, what if he had done the right thing in all of these specific intersections of this story? No matter what George Floyd had done, no matter whether he was innocent or guilty related to counterfeit money, no matter whether he had been using drugs or had not used drugs, regardless of whether he had resisted arrest or whether he did not resist arrest. The point is this, Derek Chauvin had a job to do, and if he had made the right decision, would George Floyd still be alive today? And that's a question for us to ask. And so regardless of his police training, if Derek Chauvin had been trained to keep the knee on the neck or the shoulder to pin someone to the ground, to keep them from resisting, to keep them from trying to stand up, then at some point we have to ask the question, what if Derek Chauvin had considered the whole scene that this man, although he did not want, it was very clear, to be placed in the back of this police car, But now Derek Chauvin has plenty of backup officers surrounding him. George Floyd is handcuffed. He's on the ground. And at this point, now he stops resisting. So is it necessary to keep your knee on his neck or his shoulder or whatever it was that was placing at some point on his neck at least? And for for all these minutes, is it necessary to keep the knee where it was? Or could you release the pressure at that point? So the question becomes this, what if, what if this officer had done the right thing in all of these cases? Would George Floyd still be alive today? And then, of course, we have another layer to consider. What if, what if the mob, what if the general public in all of these these cities across America and internationally, what if they had responded properly? Yes, it's a it's a horrible thing to see the images that we saw in the video when it was released, but what if the response had been different? Those buildings would not have been burned. The police cars would not have been destroyed. Innocent lives would not have been taken. There were plenty of black people who lost their lives over the past year because of the riots, because of the looting, because of the lawlessness, because of the rage of the mob. What if what if the mob had responded differently? What if the, the, the community had responded differently? What would have been the outcome? Well, it wouldn't have brought back the life of George Floyd, but it certainly would have prevented the death of police officers, citizens of the community, businesses from being burned to the ground, black 
people's jobs being lost as a result of restaurants that were burned and other businesses that were destroyed. Not to mention just the fact that officers doing their job completely completely outside of the, the context of this case were greatly disrespected simply because of the decision of Derek Chauvin. And so we must ask the question, what if? What if people in all of these various different scenarios had actually made the right decision? You see, we're all going to be faced with decisions. And according to Ecclesiastes, there is a time and a season for everything under the sun. And so we need to always be asking ourselves, what if, what if we would do the right thing? And so obedience to God involves doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And we always need to understand what biblical wisdom looks like. But when we consider, you know, the authorities, we think about, you know, they're doing their jobs. They're, they're trained to do their jobs and they have a job to do. And so disrespecting them based on the issue of the case of George Floyd is not the right decision to make. And people that did that and broke the law, then they ended up going to jail as a result of it. Now, George Floyd made decisions on the day that he drove up with his friends to that specific establishment and decided to engage in the passing of counterfeit money. George Floyd made decisions related to drug use. George Floyd made decisions related to resisting officers of the law. But so did Derek Chauvin. He made decisions, and there were consequences to his decision. Not only the consequences that affected his life, but also the life of George Floyd. When we consider the reality that Proverbs 18.13 makes a specific statement, it says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And that's exactly what the mob did in this case. They did not wait until uh, proper due diligence was brought to this case. They did not wait for the justice system to, to work its way out through the case of Derek Chauvin. They did not wait for the verdicts to be released. They simply went to the streets and they started disrespecting law officers, spitting in their faces, throwing urine, bottles of urine on police officers in Atlanta, Georgia. Officers that were completely disconnected from Minneapolis, Minnesota. But yet at the same time, as we consider the reality that they were listening to a cultural narrative, being moved by a cultural narrative, chanting Black Lives Matter in the streets, suggesting that Derek Chauvin was guilty of hunting down and killing George Floyd simply because of the fact that he was a black man. And that's simply a cultural narrative, and people were making decisions based on that cultural narrative rather than the facts of this case. So what if the mobs had chosen to listen to truth and listen to evidence, and listen to verdicts before they spoke and before they acted. How many businesses would not have been destroyed? How many people would still be alive today as a result of their decisions? Again, we must ask this honest question. We must apply biblical wisdom to this whole case, not just to Derek Chauvin, 
but to the whole case. And then again, we have this idea of justice. Justice is, again, a specific category, but we must understand that all justice, when we chant or cry out for justice, it finds its source in God. Biblical justice is the very source by which we have what we call the justice system itself. Now, the justice system of America is very good. Now, it's imperfect because it's made up of imperfect judges, jurors, attorneys, plaintiffs, and defendants. All throughout the entire process, you're going to have imperfection at some level, and people make bad decisions at times, and people are biased when they go into a courtroom at times. But what we must understand is that the justice system in America is a good thing. It is a good thing. But when we hear people today who are calling out for justice and demanding justice, we must remember this. There is a clear connection between justice and truth. There is a clear connection always between justice and truth. We live in a day that demands justice but rejects truth. And you can't have it both ways. You can't have real justice that's on the, built on the foundation of lies. And so that's what we continue to see in this cultural conversation. That's what Black Lives Matter continues to promote. They continue to promote this idea of justice, but yet void of truth. And so when we consider critical race theory again, it, it holds power in greater importance than truth itself. And it's embedded with this idea of identity politics. And so we see that even recently when we have Chelsea Handler, who is a, an American comedian and actress. She tweets on April 13th, quote, why would any person of color ever comply with a police officer when there is a 50-50 shot of getting accidentally shot, end quote? Well, now, you would expect that there would be some sort of basis by which she would actually make a statement publicly on Twitter like that, right? Like, where is the statistical background for that statement? And the the answer to that is that there are no stats that back up a statement like that. It is not a 50-50 shot that you're going to be accidentally shot if you're a black person when you are approached by a police officer. That is just simply not true. You take all of the statistics and you lay them out on on a desk and you review them, you will be shocked by the absurdity of a statement just like that, but people get away with it. You don't see her being reprimanded by Twitter for making a statement like that. People are allowed to promote a false narrative and continue this conversation. Such persons who push the woke agenda have no commitment to truth. And so if if you promote this identity politics, this woke agenda, you are not committed to truth. And therefore, you cannot be committed to genuine justice. Proverbs 19.2 says, Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, and he who makes haste with his feet errors. Now think about that. Proverbs says, It is not good for a person to be without knowledge, and yet people are consistently making judgment calls without proper knowledge. They're making improper decisions based on improper statistics, out of a vast well of ignorance, and yet promoting a false narrative 
and it creates a cultural moment. Black Lives Matter tweeted on April 22nd in response to a statement that was made by Nancy Pelosi when she was suggesting uh, in a tweet that George Floyd had died for the cause of justice. And it was Black Lives Matter officially tweeting in response to that, stating that this is disrespectful, going on to state, quote, George Floyd didn't choose to die, Speaker Pelosi. He was murdered by a killer cop operating through white supremacy. There isn't justice here, end quote. Now, did you catch that? First of all, Black Lives Matter stated that he was murdered by a killer cop operating through white supremacy. Now, let's just ask the first question here. Where do we have the basis that anything that Derek Chauvin did was based upon a racist motivation? Where do we have any evidence, any shred of evidence that demonstrates the reality that Derek Chauvin was motivated by a racist heart? Is there anything that demonstrates that? Can anyone find anything related to Derek Chauvin's uh, Facebook, his Twitter, his social media, if there is a record of it any place that would promote the idea that he was a racist? Can we, can we find any shred of evidence for that? And then again, here's the next key point of that statement by Black Lives Matter tweet where they stated this, there isn't justice here. Now, that's the key statement. If there was ever a key statement in anything related to the social justice movement, it's that very statement. Social justice has no end game. So in reality, Black Lives Matter would have preferred a not guilty verdict with Derek Chauvin. Why? Because it, because it promotes and perpetuates a narrative that will be very lucrative for them. Because if there's ever the end game where we get past this idea of racial justice, white supremacy, and all of this, if we ever arrive at the port, if you will, if we ever arrive at the train station where we have genuine equality, where we view one another with respect regardless of the melanin count, and we have this genuine respect for human life because we are all created in the image and likeness of God, then organizations like Black Lives Matter has no, has no motivation to continue. They have to simply go find other jobs, and there's nothing more to complain about. So they want this to continue. That's why you have individuals like Brianna Taylor's mom, who's calling out Black Lives Matter as a fraud because she sees through what's happening here. That's why you see the founders of Black Lives Matter that are actually purchasing mansions and large real estate properties rather than investing the money that's given to this organization into the families of people like George Floyd. So you don't see that. Because this is not about social justice. This is not about genuine justice. This is about a cultural narrative that makes a lot of people money and continues this idea of anti-racism. You see, anti-racism has no end game. We must understand that when we see the president and the vice president speaking out boldly, just 
just moments after this entire verdict was released by Derek Chauvin, using this as a catalyst to talk about and to lecture America about critical race theory and police brutality and police reform, and also this idea of the need to to speak out against racism, we need to ask the honest question, what about Tony Tempa? What about that life that was taken by police officers? What about the issue related to that individual who was who lost his life as a result of police officers who put their knee on his neck for longer than the officers in the case of George Floyd? What if we would consider the situation just as Vody Bauckham does in a in a wonderful way in his book in a chart where he demonstrates the number of minutes in comparison and then of course uh, both resulting in death and then of course asking the question why is it that we don't know the name of Tony Tempa but we know the name of George Floyd and the reason is as Vody Bauckham states it's because George Floyd was a black man and this promotes a narrative a specific narrative. And we must understand that that's exactly what Black Lives Matter and others want. And again, we see evangelicals buying into it. Just five days after the death of George Floyd, we have the Southern Baptist leaders issuing a joint statement on the death of George Floyd, where they make bold statements related to the death of George Floyd, connecting it to the grievous Jim Crow and slavery eras stating that we must grieve, stating, quote, while all must grieve, we understand that in the hearts of our fellow citizens of color, incidents like these connect to a long history of unequal justice in our country, going back to the grievous Jim Crow and slavery eras, end quote. Now, this is the Southern Baptist Convention issuing a statement on the death of George Floyd just five days after his death and suggesting that it was because of the reality of racism and racial injustice in this nation that caused this. That's irresponsible. Again, if we go back to the, the, the very biblical text and if we ask the honest question about, uh, you know, what does the Bible teach about making a judgment call without proper knowledge? In Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 18.17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Again, biblical wisdom suggests that we should not be so fast to speak. We should not be so fast to issue judgment. We need to think these things through. And again, we find that even evangelical leaders who should know better are actually promoting this false narrative that everything, all the time, in all cases, is related to racism. That's critical race theory. And that's wrong. And it's a false narrative. And it must be opposed. It must be rejected. It must be exposed. We must reject it wholeheartedly as Christians. We need to ask ourselves what-if questions. We need to ask ourselves how we should respond to authority. We need to talk about justice and how biblical justice 
is the source of the justice system that we see in our nation. And again, in Romans chapter 13, again, when we're, when we're talking about how we respond to the law and law officers, we need to remember what it states. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, when we consider the reading of Romans 13, we must understand that we must respond appropriately to the laws of the land, to the officers of the law, to the justice system as a whole. We must remember that everything in this entire makeup of what we call the justice system and the laws that govern our nation have been instituted by God for a purpose. And if you're doing good, you have no reason to fear. But we need to understand that when we resist, then there's going to be judgment. And then when we engage in improper decisions, that we will have specific consequences that come our way as a result. And so if we want real justice, we have to be committed to truth. We have to be committed to truth. But yet, when we examine this whole case, we see that people aren't committed to truth. Celebrities aren't committed to truth. LeBron James talking about black men being hunted down and assassinated and killed and murdered just because of the color of their skin, that's, that's an irresponsible statement. The Southern Baptist Convention talking five days after this that Derek Chauvin was a racist, that's an irresponsible statement. And then, of course, we have the news anchors and we have talking heads on, on television who are guilty of the very same thing. As I walked into my living room to, to see the verdict that was read on national television, I turned on Fox News. And there was a specific show that was on and they paused their show and they went right to the courtroom and the verdicts were read and then they continued their show immediately after with all of their, their reactions. There was a specific news personality on Fox. His name is Greg Gutfeld. And he stated the following. Just listen to his comments. I want you to, to hear his comments because what he says is very troubling. He makes a statement, his own personal opinion about the verdict, and what he says should actually be shocking to you. So just listen here to his statement. And now I'm going to just get really selfish. Uh, I'm glad that he was found guilty on all charges, Yeah. even if he might not be guilty of all charges. Oh my God. I am glad that he is guilty of all charges because I want a verdict that keeps this country from going up oh. in flames. Uh-uh. Oh, my goodness. No. What do you mean? 
Look, Greg, listen. What do you mean? No, I'm at least being honest. I, my, my, ta my neighborhood was looted. Greg, I don't ever want to go through that again. We do not sacrifice individuals for the sake I'm of I'm saying he's guilty. I'm saying I'm glad uh, about the verdict. Uh, but, okay, but the bottom I, line is you can't that, courtroom, that. that courtroom is a place where the evidence is, is brought in. It, it is pristine mm -hmm. in terms of the way it's handled. Everything outside of the courtroom does not enter it. Uh, it okay, may, okay, it cool, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you, wait a second. Did you hear... What Tobe, Mike Tobin said when he was interviewing some people when they said, hey, we're not going to loot tonight. We're going to celebrate. Right, so right. we were dealing with what we thought was a sense of, of uh, extortion, that if this didn't go a certain way, oh. I'm speaking the truth. If it didn't go a certain way, there was going to be a there was going to be destruction. We know that. Why pretend otherwise? Right. Now, what you hear Greg Gutfield state is very troubling, but I believe it's also probably a more common position than we might want to believe. He states that regardless of whether or not Derek Chauvin was guilty, he was relieved and grateful that he was found guilty because he did not want his neighborhood to be looted again. And then again, immediately there was pushback by other co-hosts on the show who were suggesting that, and rightly so, that we should never allow anything in the culture to change the decision of a courtroom because the courtroom's decision should be based upon facts and evidence, not the rage of the mob. If we ever allow the justice system of this nation to be turned over to the mob, then basically whoever has the loudest voice and can demonstrate the most rage can control the outcome of court cases and can get anything done in a court of law, including the Supreme Court. And we must take that very seriously. So is that what we want? Is that what Greg Gutfeld really wants? How irresponsible. We must not allow the justice system of this nation to be turned over to the rage of the mob. He who has the biggest and, and boldest mob will rule us. That is not what we want. How do we wrap this up? How do we think about this case? Well, not only should we apply biblical wisdom and think about biblical justice, but we must also apply the gospel to this case. The gospel is the good news that God is a sovereign God of all creation. God sent His Son to take upon human flesh, was conceived in the womb of Mary, born in a stable for animals. He upheld the law that Adam broke. He fulfilled the law that God prescribed. He became the perfect and singular offering for sinners. Jesus was put to death on a Roman cross. The Son of God was buried in a borrowed tomb. Christ was raised from the dead on the third day in victory. And he appeared and he preached the good news, the gospel, over a period of 40 days. And then he ascended to the throne of God in victory, and he will return one day. You see, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to die for real sinners. That Jesus saves men, women, boys, girls. He saves the red, the yellow, the black, the white, the brown, the rich, the poor, the beautiful, the ugly, the educated, the uneducated. Galatians 3.28 summarizes this by stating, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all in Christ. 
You see, the, the social justice agenda divides us, but it is the gospel that saves us and unites us. Anti-racism will never lead to reconciliation and forgiveness because only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change human hearts. You see, when we talk about reconciliation, we must remember that the Bible speaks and points us to be reconciled to God. And only when we are reconciled to God can we expect to have real, genuine respect and unity and love and forgiveness towards people who have different color skin than us or look different than us or who are in a different socioeconomic bracket than us. You see, anti-racism work focuses on this idea of human reconciliation, which is like attempting to reconcile two dominant male African lions. It's just not going to happen. True unity, true harmony, true love, true forgiveness is only accessible and only attainable through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So at this point, we can pursue and practice real justice in a way that God intends. And so as we think about this case, our hearts should be grieved. As we think about the life of George Floyd, gone. And as we think about the life of Derek Chauvin, destroyed. As we think about his marriage, destroyed. As we think about his his livelihood, destroyed. As we think about him going off to jail for the rest of his life, it's a tragedy. What if... In all of these cases, George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, the cultural mobs, what if everyone had chosen to do the right thing? And again, even in a case like this where we have unbelievers who are involved in various different capacities and various different layers, you say, well, even then, if they're not Christians, could there be a good outcome? Yes because of the justice system that God himself has instituted, even unbelievers can be restrained from making ungodly decisions that would have a dramatic impact upon another individual, another human being. So we need to be grateful for the laws of the land. We need to be grateful for biblical justice. We need to have confidence in our own justice system. So as I wrap this up, I'll just simply state to you, The other evening when I saw this verdict handed down, we came around the dinner table with my family and we had a conversation. I wanted to talk honestly with my children. And much of what I've just stated in this podcast, I stated to my children. And I told them that there are going to be consequences. When you make a decision, there there will be consequences. But also in this case, rather than protesting this decision, we at some level need to have confidence in our justice system. Now I have my own questions about whether or not Derek Chauvin could receive a fair trial with all of the knowledge, the cultural knowledge, and the accessibility to the video and all of the talking head commentaries and news reports and articles that were written over the course of a year. And then, of course, you walk into a court of law and you're asked to forget all of that and then to make a decision based on evidence. Was the jury affected by this? The answer to that is yes. They were affected by what they saw before they went into the courtroom, which makes this case unique in some ways. But 
I wasn't a, I wasn't a member of that jury. I did not listen to every single piece of evidence from, from the prosecution to the defense. And so as a result, we must have confidence that this jury in a unanimous fashion found Derek Chauvin guilty of all three charges. Now we can, we can disagree on that at some level, but that's the, the point I'm driving home is that the right thing to do is to follow the laws of the land from the very beginning. And if there's injustice in some way, there's a law for that. And you trust in the justice system. You, you work through the process and you pursue justice that honors God. And so may we teach our children, may we disciple them rightly to apply biblical wisdom to the decisions of life that will honor God and that will protect people and that will place dignity and respect upon the lives of our fellow human beings for the glory of God. So I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the G3 podcast. I want to point you to our website, g3men.org, where you can find resources and articles on various subjects, as well as the archives of this very podcast. I would also uh, point you to the upcoming information related to the upcoming conference, It is our G3 National Conference this fall. You can find out information on our website. We also have just recently released our pre-conference on the subject of pastoral ministry, and we have one for both English and Spanish. You can find all of that information at our website. And of course, we look forward to seeing you next week on the G3 podcast and hopefully in person at the G3 National Conference this fall. May God bless you. We'll see you next week on the G3 Podcast.